welcome you all to this Twitter space on behalf of OUP Secondary. Uh, very excited to have our special guests, Gaurav and Helen, with us this evening, uh, talking about vocabulary and oracy strategies for the Key Stage 3 classroom. Thanks, Sam. This is very exciting. This is my first Twitter space. I don't know about you, Gaurav, but I've not done one of these before. And um, I did a little trial with Sam this morning. And there are, there are little buttons that make sounds. I don't know if you've come across that. So listen, So this is the bell. This is the, like, dinging bell. How cool is that? So I just, we chatted this morning and I said, right, this is the bell that we're going to use when there's a brilliant point that one of us makes. Well, mostly you, Gaurav. Um, I'm going to go like that because I think that's a perfect, that's a perfect moment to just have a little uh, highlight of a, of, a, of a point that one of us makes. Anyway, I'm probably waffling already. It's probably been a long day for all of us. If we we're in education, it's always been a long day, hasn't it, by five past six? Yeah. <laughs> So um, I think Sam was kind of a little bit keen for us to introduce ourselves. So I'll just really briefly introduce me and then Gaurav, maybe you could just say a few bits about you. I am Helen Prince and uh, do quite a lot of work with AUP, which is an absolute joy and have done some writing for them and some vocabulary books. Vocabulary is my absolute passion, oracies and moral cause. And I'm determined that we make a difference to the lives of our children through really boosting what we can do through talk and how we uh, value talk in the classroom and I think we are on a really good trajectory with that I think that life is moving forward in terms of oracy so yeah that's that's me been in education for 20 something years always an English teacher at heart and uh, work cross phase now uh, which is a joy to see what happens between early years and year 13 it's a really it's a really fascinating picture to see what that looks like as you travel through the years Gaurav, do you want to just say a few words about you? Sure. So I'm um, Gaurav Dubey Sharma. Um, I'm a head of English um, in a Birmingham school, in a city school, where 44% of the students are EAL students. Not in the early stages as such of learning English, but a lot of their English is transactional, conversational, rather than academic. Mm -hmm. But as well as that role, um, I'm the subject network lead for English across the King Edward Foundation in Birmingham. And I'm also an evidence lead in education. I'm, I'm a big believer that oracy is one of the untapped tools that we really need to start tapping into and can lead to so much, you know, so much improvement with our children in terms of their confidence, in terms of their academic results. So I'm really looking forward to the conversation we're going to have this evening brilliant we we've had a chat before haven't we we had recorded a, a podcast for teacher hug radio yeah it was yeah. teacher hug radio that yeah was that was fun so it's, it's nice to uh, chat again but one day we'll get to meet what do you reckon yes i think that would be a really good idea let's do it let's do it i'll um yeah. meet you halfway <laughs> so having spoken with the lovely people at oup i think the, the vibe really is for us to think about why vocab and oracy are important to us. So I'm just going to pose that question and think, you know, was it since day dot as a teacher that you really thought vocabulary and oracy were, were valuable or did it, did it creep up on you? I, th I think I would say it definitely creeped up on me. One of the things that's always been important in, in my teaching is that... Um, whole purpose of teaching for me is that our children have a voice, voice through writing, voice through speaking, um, and having that com confidence to be able to really develop their own agency. Yeah. But over time, I think I began to realise that there were 
certain things that needed to happen you know I, I firstly I became cognizant of the fact that the students that I taught again in another innocent inner city Birmingham school our students didn't have the tools to speak very well the vocabulary they had was very very limited and then obviously after that as I did more digging and more research I recognized that oracy was also something that we needed to invest in and for, for some of our students it could be that second chance that they need or that they don't necessarily get at home so for me it was very much a kind of I guess a, a moral vision I, I, I guess yeah. that, that that started to happen really yeah that's really interesting I think I think similarly actually for me because I think it crept up the fact that it really runs deep how important it is to value our children's voice you know that concept that we want to empower them with a with a really passionate vibrant voice that sort of that crept up on me really I think I wish I wish in a way that that had dawned on me a bit a bit earlier was that concept that vocabulary really is that viewfinder for everything that our children access yeah absolutely and I think one of the things that that perhaps I didn't realize was during teacher training there wasn't that much of a focus on on vocabulary or the uh, opportunities about how we actually give our children a voice I think mm. a lot of us are um, you know we become teachers at least when I became a teacher which was a number of years ago um, we, we wanted to do it because we really did want to change the world yeah you know we, we wanted to change the world that's why we went in, in. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love the bell. Um, but yeah, you know, we wanted to change the world and we, re and we, you know, we thought we could be the next kind of Robin Williams in no, Dead Poets Society or, or something like that, <laughs> you know? We were standing on that desk, weren't we? <laughs> Absolutely. The kids were staring back at me thinking, what on earth is he doing? <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, after a while, I, you know, we suddenly started to realise actually those changes that we really want to make, it's, it's actually in the classroom. Um, and it's not just about having these opinions and these feelings. It's actually digging deep and thinking about what, what can we actually do in the classroom, the little things that are going to make the biggest difference. And I do believe that vocabulary and oracy are, are the two big kind of levers, I guess, in, in making that difference. Yeah, definitely. And I think maybe we're a bit more confident to do that now because previously, I, I mean, certainly personally speaking, there's probably been too much emphasis on writing and finding kids with a pen in their hand writing in a book seemed to be the most valuable thing we could do when, you know, actually you've got to track back from that because unless they can say it, they'll never write it. So that focus on talk and that focus on vocab and how we can all really rehearse written outcomes before we get the pen in the hand maybe that's that's a braver step that we were a bit nervous of you know maybe too many people were thinking about you know there's got to be evidence here what's the accountability what have they actually created and written and what what's the what's the visible outcome and maybe talk isn't visible enough maybe that was that was one of our barriers yeah I, th I would 100% agree with that the the idea that you couldn't evidence the talk that you wanted to, you know, in a book or anything like that. And so I suppose we sort of started to shy away from it. And I think the word confidence is really an important one because I think that's something that I developed over time because I began to realise actually it doesn't matter what other people are saying. What matters is that my children are making the progress that they need to make. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you have to make some very brave decisions in spite of, 
stakeholders and all those other people around us and actually say that this is the right thing for our students we need to invest in this because if i invest in my children's ability to speak and use vocabulary effectively through talk then i'm actually investing in their writing as well and all those visible outcomes will show improvement as well yeah 100 percent. and it's not about talking more you know is it it's about that really careful constructed dialogue that's that's really purposeful and and that's really vibrant you know anybody who wants to come in and see what's going on in a classroom will will just be you know bowled over by that real purposeful talk it's not it's not something we should shy away from is it Absolutely not. Um, And I think, you know, that idea of purposeful talk is a very interesting one because we're still in that we're still in that unique place that, you know, where where oracy teaching is is really at its infancy and it's starting to to improve. But it doesn't necessarily mean we want our students to have conversations for the sake of having conversations. It's really seeing for the students and for those people who are who are looking what the purpose of that talk is and how it's actually going to enable them to move on it's that lovely uh, mary mike phrase isn't it high challenge low threat because you're challenging it's really challenging this kind of dialogic talk that's that's really uh, purposeful constructive but um it's really quite low threat because it's talk you know and, and it's trans yeah. and if if you want to improve on it you know you've said it and and it's gone and then you can improve on it and i think that that's a really lovely way into thinking about you know getting better and not being frightened to be wrong with 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 your ideas and and having another go and another go and talk's a per- perfect place for that isn't it absolutely and it's that developing of that ethos you know the classroom ethos that you want you want to create a climate of high challenge and low threat talk is really that rehearsal process where you you are allowed to make those mistakes and you know i saw it beautifully recently in a maths class where the students were encouraged to use three terms in their talk. Um, and um, rather than the teacher expecting their students just to just to use these three words willy-nilly, um, he gave them sentence stems. And right. words were in those sentence stems, and they were one of the first four words, if you like, in those sentence stems to get them to, to start talking and to use those words accurately as well and uh, you, you know and you can see that their engagements with the maths that they were doing improved but also that accuracy when it came to actually doing that visible outcome that independent work you could really see that they'd understood that the purpose behind the maths that they were doing as well so yes I absolutely um, think that's important that's so good that's so good I don't know if you um are ever brave enough sometimes i'm brave enough to listen to uh, miriam margaloy's she was on on radio four last night and i was listening to her talking about dickens saying that dickens uh used to do that exact thing he used to uh rehearse what he was going to write in the mirror and he would he would think oh i'm not sure which which sentence i like best and he'd go to the mirror and sort of rehearse it and talk it out loud and perform it because obviously he was a real performer of his works and before he even wrote the line down he'd go and perform it to the mirror and then choose you know which one he liked better from from the performance of it and then write that down i thought that was very very clever 
I think that's awesome, actually. I don't, I'm a big fan of Miriam Mogley's anyway. I, I, I love listening to her. I love listening to her voice on my old audiobooks. Um, she reads some audiobooks as well. She's just got um, this delightfully innocent voice, hasn't she? And then, yeah. and then she slaps oh. you with quite high octane. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, um, yeah, although, you know, some of the things you say can be quite outrageous at times, but, you know, we all love that outrageous kind of individual in our lives, don't we? But I love that, that, you know, Dickens was maybe our, our very first advocate of oral rehearsal, that, you know, I'm not sure if he had mini whiteboards, I, I think you need a mini whiteboard when you're doing oral rehearsal, but maybe he didn't have that, but but rehearsing it in the mirror, and that's that's sort of a um, nice segue into into the concept of drama, isn't it? Yeah, and I know that we've yeah. spoken before about the real value of drama when it comes to sort of rehearsing, hot seating, or thinking about how we might speak like a specialist, or all of those elements that really build a vibrant world of words, putting kids in role. And do you, do you do that very much in your school? Is that, is that something Key Stage 3 are pretty good at? I think it's it's something that we we are doing more more so of right now. Um, we actually mapped our oracy provision from year seven all the way up to year thirteen, um, and, and we've made it very clear what our kind of oracy goals are. Um, and one of those is is to do with drama. So if I give you an example yeah. of um, year nine, for instance, in terms of key stage three, one of the things that we're, we were looking at in an English department in terms of Romeo and Juliet is to what extent can we see characters as autocratic the prince being one of the key characters and uh, lord capulet perhaps as being a kind of like a benign autocrat in his his own household obviously those words and having the definition for instance the term autocrat and breaking down in terms of morphology etymology all really really important but the one thing that really enabled them to understand what that word meant was through the drama where they had to do a performance of Act 1, Scene 1. There were 60 lines. They were working in groups of six. And they had to present the prince when he comes in as um, as an autocrat or to what extent they could see him as an autocrat. And it was just really interesting to yeah. see interpretations that they brought with because drama really allowed them to explore different kind of interpretation so one particular group did did a, a kind of like a pharaoh kind of um leader um, from the ancient world and i thought that was a really interesting way of of doing it another group clearly a uh, mimicking Vladimir Putin, um, you know, so bringing in the world, current world of politics into their interpretation, and that, they did that really, really well. And so, absolutely, I think that the drama and and the possibilities it can provide children in terms of their thinking, I think, I think it ca- is invaluable, and it's certainly something that schools need to embrace more of because it's perhaps something we've started to shy away from as a result of speaking and listening at GCSE level. Of course, it is less important in, in many ways and is seen more of a chore. It's really helped develop our students' thinking beyond just the normal bog-standard answers that you, you ordinarily would get. And it's enabled them to develop that engagement with words as well and really understand what those kind of terms mean. Yeah, amazing. And it, and it lives long, doesn't it? You know, those, those are the moments that kids remember and they're retained. And I think if you put put pupils in role or you ask them to take on a character or or even you know to to sort of think metacognitively about you know what's that process of drama doing you know what am I actually doing when I am in role like that 
I just think that there's there's so much more that can be gained and it, it is much more easily retained in memory. Absolutely. Um, you know, it, um, we, we speak a lot about, you know, memory and recall and, and all those sorts of things. I think it, for me, it's very much part of, you know, the, the, the idea of storytelling, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's Willingham. Someone will jump in and tell me if it's wrong. But it said that memories, I love this, memory is the residue of thought. Yeah. Residue of thought. So basically, if, if students don't think, they can't learn. Yes, exactly. And and I think that's what that's what drama allows them to do because yes. they're constantly thinking about the different um, decisions that they're going to make, how they're going to show a particular character in a specific way, yeah. but also balancing that with the needs of the audience and the people who will be watching them. Is this appropriate for for our audience? Are we being too extreme? You know, I, I said with that particular year nine group, one one group, um, I'm not going to say who it was, wanted to do a particular version of a character you know to to show almost this autocratic kind of behavior of the prince in in romeo and juliet moved away from that political figure because they felt that it would offend certain students and they didn't want to offend they just wanted to enrich their understanding and that's empathy those those wider skills that are not tested but are so lacking in the society in which we live and so you know for me it has such powerful potential and something that, again, as I say, we need to tap into that much more. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's so interesting, isn't it? And and that sort of links into that whole concept of, you know, teaching for dialogue is, a, you know, a real process that develops those those virtues, isn't it? Of, you know, trust and respect and, uh, you know, creativity and hope. And there's so much more, isn't it? There's so many layers. It's so It's so nuanced the reasons behind why this is a good idea to be teaching for for talk and for oracy and, and incorporating drama into that process you know plus you know I was, I was working with colleagues in key stage one and two yesterday and I think we're I hope anyway we're in a place now where it's really important that kids are enjoying what they do and they're having fun with what they do. And I think maybe about, you know, five, ten years ago, we were a bit more worried about that word fun. But I'm a bit stroppier now. I don't care. I do think we need to be having fun with kids in the classroom with with the activities that we we ask them to do, because otherwise there's a moment of disconnect and disengagement that, you know, we risk we risk doing that. That doesn't need to happen if we're if we're creating the activities where children can enjoy the activity as well as benefit from all of the myriad of ideas we've just spoken about. It just seems a, it just seems like a no-brainer, a complete win. One of my sort of guiding proverbs, if you if you like, is is a Jewish proverb which says a good teacher makes learning a joy, and that's something that has never left me. Yeah. I think yes. Or oracy is one of those ways in which you can make it fun. You can make it challenging as well because you're constantly using the discussion. You know, you've spoken about dialogic talk. Something that's very natural, really, to encourage students to think and develop ideas just by having their opinion valued and listened to creates that joy because they recognise that this is an environment where I'm going to be listened to and where I'm going to be taken seriously. You know, that that moment where they might not feel successful when when they've written something because, you know, maybe some of the nuts and bolts of writing get in the way. But, you know, we've 
all had many students who we say, oh, if only you could write like this, you know, your, your speech is fabulous. And they can feel that real success, you know, and then ultimately once once they are able to say it, we can craft the writing to be more successful. It's it's getting that point of talk to be so well crafted before the writing will, will flourish. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I, I spoke to you about the, the use of those oral sentence starters before. Yep. When those oral sentence starters also become your written sentence starters as well, you know, you're you're embedding that and it and, and it it makes writing less of a demanding process because you you're aut- you're automatically encouraging your children to develop those skill though you know the vocabulary that they need to to actually write a response you know because they've rehearsed it orally they've seen the success criteria through the sentence stems that you've given them and then you can slowly remove that scaffolding yeah. um, and so for me I think it's such a powerful tool and something that I've seen across many different schools within within my foundation as well. A really good crafted sentence stem can make a world world of difference. And, you know, it's such a simple thing to do. It doesn't take hours to create, you know? It does use that cognitive load because there's, there's so much you're thinking about, isn't there, in that writing process. So that, that oral rehearsal is so helpful, yeah. Let's just sort of finish up, um, Gaurav, with something I read the other day from Tim Rissi who does loads on fluency I don't know about you but I seem to be talking about fluency a lot at the moment I'm just in a, in a lovely school in Plymouth we were reading about what Rosinski says about fluent speech and fluent reading being analogous that sort of similar features being really comparable and I thought that's really interesting actually isn't it because we're doing a lot about echo reading and and really bringing reading out into the performance space so that it's maybe you know much more about listening and modeling and and the prosody of of bringing words to life when we're reading fluently and the the thought the thought that fluent speech and fluent reading are really one and the same and i just wondered if you had any thoughts about that or or how you approach fluency in terms of of talk and and then that sort of crossover with fluent reading I think for us, um, in terms of fluency, which is something that we're working very hard at, really, at the moment, it's it begins with the, the teacher itself. It begins with the teacher sort of modelling what, what that fluent reading looks like, that, that passage, um, you know, that we're reading with the class. So um, I'm going to have to give a key stage, for example, because I suppose that's the one that's more fresh in my mind right now. Yeah. But with um, Year 10, for instance, we were looking at the porter, the minor characters, and thinking about the importance of those minor characters. So I modelled how I, I read the first part, knock, 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 you know, um, who's there by Beelzebub, and I put on my Scottish accent because <laughs> the majority of my relatives are from Glasgow, so I thought it would be a really good idea yeah. if I put on my Scottish accent just to add that sense of authenticity. Uh, wow, <laughs> yeah, the bell. <laughs> uh, you know, so so I, I made sure I, I, I did that, and, and, and I thought about and asked them questions. Why did I stress this particular word? What was the impact by stressing that word? Now let me read it again. How has the meaning changed? Just getting them to think about that, you know, fluency, the way that you project yourself can make a massive difference. Then we kind of tailored it down where we where I got them to read in um, uh, groups of three. So each three had to read a particular section in a specific way. And, um, you know, we shared it with the class before I got them to read it in pairs. 
and eventually read it on their own, just to show um, how the porter's drunken comments actually are quite, quite dark. And to think about, you know, the darkness behind that and how Shakespeare could possibly um, present that. Um, and so for me, you know, it, it, it comes from the teacher modelling yeah. and then goes down to to the students. And, you know, there are so many strategies, so many things that people talk about, like uh, choral reading, um, a reader's yeah. theatre, yeah. all these things that can be used to reading fluency. But for me, keeping it simple um, is the best. Um, so modelling students working in pairs eventually reading on their own before you encourage a few to to read in front of the class as as well you know so that they also have an audience i always think it's important that they understand that this is your audience because they they tend to take it that little bit more seriously as well also really putting support mechanisms in place if there is something that is an issue and you actually need to go back you might not go into the paired reading you might model it a little bit longer because you might have to dig deeper it might be a decoding issue they can't decode which is why they can't read effectively or it could simply be you know you've got a teenage child in front of you who just doesn't want to read with with any any level of expression or anything like that so we have to find different strategies for, for them to take it a little bit more serious to see the merit in, in in reading fluently and with prosody and all that all those sorts of things as well yeah 100 percent. and it's interesting isn't it that 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 fluent speech is is really well modeled i think i think we've been a bit nervous about reading to our students reading to our pupils i think there's been a moment where we found oh i don't know if this is proper work at least you know some of the teacher voice i've done recently i think that's been a bit of a, a concern that people think i'm not that's not proper teaching if i'm just reading to them for 20 minutes but actually that concept of modeling you know in everything we do we model don't we we're, we're modeling writing we're modeling what it looks like to be a writer we're modeling that metacognitive process and they need to hear great readers and they need to hear what fluency sounds like and and then that whole conversation as you were saying about which are the words that really are the standouts that you know why did we stress here why are we pausing because it you know it's teachable isn't it it doesn't it's not just something that occurs these are these are teachable moments and to to provide those moments where they listen to fabulous readers and and also to you know, really fantastic orators who are able to speak like a specialist to, to give you that subject knowledge and and that sort of subject expertise through their talk. That's that's often, you know, where fluency can be really brought to life, isn't it? Yeah, and I, th- I think you, you make a really important point, um, you know, about modelling because we, we can't take it for granted that our children have being exposed to good models of reading at home. Mm. And I keep saying, and, you know, I believe school is a second chance for so many of our students. If we don't model, we're doing a disservice to, to so many of our, particularly our disadvantaged students yeah. who who don't know how they, they ought to express a voice. You know, I, I remember once somebody saying that the job of a teacher is to inspire future inspirers. Um, you know, which is which is an interesting way of looking yeah. at it. Bit cheesy, but um, actually, deep deep down, you know that if they're not, if they're not being shown something that will inspire them, then they won't be inspired, and they're unable to inspire others. You know, we we want to create that kind of rolling cycle. So for me, that that modelling is 
is important because it's a second chance. And I think I think you're right. The teachers have been very, very wary in the past of, of modelling reading in front of front of children. Very often because they've been told that teacher talk um, um, is, you know, teachers shouldn't be talking too much. You know, there should be 80% students, 20% uh, 20% of teacher talk, that kind of thing. The fr- uh, fortunately, we're moving away from that kind of thinking now. And um, I think Ofsted's subject to review in that regard um, that came out, I think, in the summer in, uh, for English, I think was, was really an important, tool uh, to give teachers the confidence to say actually i can model that process you know this is even they according to the research believe that's an an important thing and i think for many teachers that's quite liberating as well because um for a long time that you know it's it's kind of been um something that has not been you know uh well thought um and you know you probably those people who who did model to their students like myself you know when a visitor came in you, you know you'd, you'd put on something different mm. then you'd carry on model, modeling for, for the many um you know so that's just <laughs> something to <laughs> to <Yeah>. consider <laughs> definitely so go go yeah. forth and model that's our that's our view <laughs> go forth and model and and get in the drama get in the uh, fluency and the models of of great speakers and reduce cognitive load with a bit of oral rehearsal there we go. There's lots of lots of great talk there, Gaurav. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Helen and Gaurav, just to say, we have had um, a question come in uh, via DM asking if there are any resources that you recommend. Well, um, I... <laughs> I'm not doing a hard sell here. I just want to make that very, very clear. These these are two resources that I, I value very much as far as um, reading is concerned. Um, so um, in terms of vocabulary, sorry, and, and that's Helen's book, Boost Your Vocabulary, which I think is a, a brilliant book. It's, you know, got there's three books um, and they have uh, specific words, you know, that, that, that can be high leverage in the classroom, for example, foreshadowing. Um, and what it does, it breaks down, it has a number of activities, it breaks it down and it begins with sort of like direct instruction. It looks at morphology and etymology. So it develops so that word consciousness and they're very much challenging as well and, and gives students the opportunity to actually, I think the, the section is called have your say, where they're actually talking about the words yeah. so that they're moving from that novice an awareness of those words to an expert and eventually it leads to that kind of independent writing as well and i wrote i wrote about it um, actually a, a blog on on it um i can't remember when but it was sometime la- um, last year um uh, because I'm, I'm generally a big believer in this book as well the other resource that i think is really really um useful uh, is something again that's come out um, via Oxford. It's something that we're trialling with our students. It's called the Oxford Quest, yeah. um, which is like a key stage three curriculum. Um, is a section called boosting your vocabulary, um, and so one of the lessons that we're doing right now are focusing on uh, is focusing on a newspaper report, and it looks at. Uh, various nouns formal informal the type of words what effect it has what you would choose instead of the words that you know are there as well and and it also has i think on almost every sort of slide the key terms so students are constantly engaging with the the key terms and 
in order to reinforce the vocabulary, the, the constantly having, uh, there's a repetition of the keywords that are being used as well. So for me, I think those two resources are, are, are really, really good ones as well. But of stuff out there for, um, via um, Tim Shanahan in terms of um, morphology teaching, in terms of uh, teaching uh, vocabulary, which I think is really, really, really useful. One book that I read recently by Amy Gaunt and Alice, Transforming Teaching and Learning Through Talk, um, which um, there's a whole section on, on vocabulary and using oracy to um, develop vocabulary. So much so, the maths teacher I was talking about right at the start of this talk, um, you know, that that's where he got that particular idea of using this oral sentence stems from you know um and that's why i read the book actually coincidentally um it, it's a br brilliant book um and i would recommend it to absolutely everybody um it's a brilliant book brilliant okay i'm going to go and read that i haven't i've heard of it actually i i follow them on twitter but um yeah i need to go and get myself that one and i'm going to give a little shout out for a, for a, an app called Chatterstars that you might want to play to boost vocabulary that that certainly helps with um looking at etymology and synonym and antonym and um, a whole raft of of things that we need to build a powerful voice. So yeah, there's there's lots of resources there, Gaurav. That was that was good. Good question. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> So thank you both so much to uh, Helen and Gora for a really interesting conversation this evening. And thank you to um, everyone who's joined us after a busy day in the classroom. Do follow us on at OUP Secondary to find out more about vocabulary boosting resources, um, amongst other things. And uh, we look forward to seeing you again. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you, guys.